and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me, Mr. Walter Lukashensky in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wally, how are you, my man? It's only been a week, but a week too long. It's good to be back here and talk NFL football again until you realize we're in the second half of the season now. And then all of a sudden it becomes a little less exciting to, I guess, realize that you're only, what, seven, eight games away from your season ending. As a Raider fan, I'm all too accustomed to it. It's just nice to know I have a 17th game. So that's all I have for you, Steven. Yeah, Vegas really knows how to drag it out for you, just in the sake of you. But 12 of the 16 AFC teams at or above 500 after this Sunday. Cam Newton back in Carolina. The Chiefs getting a little hot, winning their third straight, but not as hot as the Patriots winning their fourth. But we'll get into that sooner rather than later. Before we jump in, meanwhile, I want you to know that this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. TabEase, T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure to use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that first order, as well as you get a little bit of free shipping. I love me some free shipping. That's why I used my mom's Amazon Prime account. No NFL stories. We're jumping straight to the hair of the dog. Because there were a lot of blowout wins this past Sunday. The first one, the Colts handling the Jags. But don't let the score fool you. The Colts looked like shit after the first quarter. Only six points in the final three quarters. Eight of their final drives occurred 11 yards or fewer. And yeah, Jonathan Taylor continuing his dominance. 116 yards with a touchdown. But the Jags maybe starting to get it together here midseason. And started making that push to look like a competent football team. This was probably the last game that your eyes were on. What were some of your takeaways from this AFC South matchup? I mean, it was a gross game to go into even trying to watch just because we know what the Jaguars have been. But, I mean, the Colts just, it seems like every time they start getting their feet under them, they have kind of a game like this where they sputter. And they had a block punt return for a touchdown this game, but that realistically was the only difference in the score. The Jaguars actually had a, the ball with less than a minute left inside the Colts' territory. The only problem was Trevor Lawrence strip-sacked, ices the game. But Urban Meyer said earlier this week, and you have to believe that they believe that, that they are not as far away as people believe that they are. We've seen about a month stretch here where they've kind of turned it around after a really, really brutal start to the year. I think the Jaguars are better than we thought, but they're still a terrible team. I think this is more of what the Colts didn't do on Sunday, opposed to what the Jaguars actually did do. Our next game, the Cowboys host the Atlanta Falcons, a Falcons team that had shown signs of growth and improvement this year, at least over the last few weeks. All that ended up happening instead, Dallas just curb stomps the Falcons in this game, win this 43-3, they were up 36-3 to at halftime in this game. 29 of those points coming in the second quarter alone. Four of the first five drives in that first half ended in seven points. The only negative thing you can find about this game for Dallas is that Jerry Jones was pissed off. His quarterback's taking a big hit. Up by five possessions in the third quarter. Hard for me to blame him too much coming off the year you just had with Dak's absence. The Cowboys are really good, Steven. They're going to be a team that people don't want to believe, but they're a Super Bowl threat and realistically can do it if their defense can play like they did on Sunday. Now, if that's going to happen, 
it remains to be seen. Dallas getting right back on track after getting embarrassed a week before to a visiting Broncos team. They even added a crazy special teams touchdown and like got the punt got blocked like in the end zone. Then they were able to recover it in the it was insane. I was like, how the how the hell do they just score again? This Cowboys team knows how to score and they know how to score in bunches. They are a very explosive offense, and now with Michael Gallup back in the lineup with another game and a half, two games underneath his belt, that adds another weapon for Dak. And Dak is an absolute stud, but we're we're not even talking about the C.D. Lamb and Dak chemistry quite yet. Six catches, 94 yards, two more touchdowns, top 10 in yards and touchdowns, and they already had the bye week. But the Falcons are just as bad as we thought they were. Maybe they were turning a page with Arthur Smith, really getting that offense to click. No, let's let's kind of pump the brakes. I guess I was clinging on to hope from they'll make my pick from last year right this year. It, it's just not happening. This Dallas team, like you said it, you said it best. If they can figure out how to play defense consistently like this and the bend and break, creating turnovers, there should be no reason why they're not the favorite in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl. Do you think that they should be the favorite to represent the NFC right now, Wally? I know it's kind of impromptu, but you know I like throwing curveballs. You're the baseball guy. I would say right now, if you made me choose, I'd probably still lean Tampa Bay. I think their defense their defense has gotten better as this year's gone on. As their secondary is healthier, you're going to see them, I think, take the next step. Right now, we'll get into it when we get to their game. I think they're bored. They have a division that's been over since the season started. And that's hard to stay focused, and especially against teams like New Orleans, against teams like Washington. You just kind of expect a win. Didn't happen. We'll get there. But the Cowboys are certainly in that short list. I mean, the NFC, it, this is on both sides. As wide open as I can remember the Super Bowl race being in forever. Because you have four or five teams in the NFC I think could legitimately come out. And then you flip to the AFC. It's like nobody wants to separate themselves so I think that there's a case to be made for Dallas, and I wouldn't be upset at all if you said that. Let's flip it over to the AFC, a team that's getting hot, not separating themselves, but getting themselves in the mix. The New England Patriots hang 45 on the Cleveland Browns, the visiting Cleveland Browns. Now all of a sudden the Patriots have won four in a row, five of their last six, and are they looking like the Patriots of old? The mechanical quarterback, he's putting up those those Tom Brady-esque rookie second-year numbers of 190 yards, two touchdowns, three touchdowns. The defense is playing outstanding. Browns go down and score on their opening drive, 45 unanswered points from there, and the Patriots' defense held the Browns to 217 total yards, 1-11 on third down. Baker, 11-21, 73 yards, one touchdown, one interception, Dearness Johnson got his got his 26 touches with a buck 57 as well. But man, this Browns team cannot stay consistent. And how much are you liking this Pats team? And like you were saying last week, I think the Bills are looking over their shoulder at this point, Wally. It'd be hard not to look over your shoulder the way the Patriots have played in the last month and a half. I talk about it a lot on Pigskins and Nylon, the Big Ten podcast I do. But in college, you often see teams need to establish an identity, figure out if you have... A part of your game that you're not exactly proficient in, you go somewhere else to get those yards, get those points. You don't see that often in the NFL because teams are typically more balanced. There's more skill up there. 
But the Patriots, understanding right now they have a rookie quarterback, they don't want to ask too much of him, they've embraced the team, I guess, ideology of running the ball first and being a, a solid defensive team. And they've done it so well. I know that the Browns look terrible on offense in this game, but they've been doing this the last month. I was just doing a little math earlier today, and in their last three games, they've allowed 54% completion percentage, less than 200 yards a game, and gave up three touchdowns to seven interceptions. And that was not even including this Browns game, mind you. This is a Patriots team that very well could win the East. And the, the Bills, we know, they had a long period of time where they could not physically beat the Patriots. I'm going to be interested to see in Week 13 and 15 if that's still in there a little bit, or if they got over that last year. I'm not sure. As for the Browns, though, I think that this is kind of similar to what you got to see with the Raiders a few weeks ago when they lost Henry Ruggs. They don't really have an option at wide receiver right now, and it's embarrassingly bad. I mean, they had two wide receivers catch passes on Sunday. Jarvis had four for 26, and Donovan Peoples-Jones had one for 16. But beyond that, it was all to the backs and the tight ends. Guys have to get open, and I don't know if it's going to get much better for the Browns the rest of this season, because where are you going to get the wide receiver help now? And the way Baker's been banged up, I mean, he's playing with like 18 different injuries. I, I just think the Browns team, I think they're going to probably miss the playoffs at this point. And that's a real shame because of how the expectations were going into the year. But the core is still going to be fine. It's going to be a question of, does this Browns front office have the patience to stick with this group? Or are they going to kind of fall pressure into the media and to the local fans even, if they get a little, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for, a little impatient. But but the Browns are a bad football team right now. And you said it best just describing the AFC if no one wants to separate themselves. The AFC North is a microcosm of that. No one wants to separate themselves. You had Pittsburgh who tied here this past week. You had the Browns who lost. You had the Ravens that lost. And the only true win here was the Bengals who didn't move because they had a bye week. This division is still wide open with a lot of divisional games left. You got the Ravens still on the slate twice from the Browns. You still got the Bengals once, still have the Steelers once. So the fate, I believe fate is in their hands. The ball's in their court. You need Nick Chubb. You need Kareem Hunt back because that is the true identity of this football team. But I don't think anyone wants to win this division. And, and quite frankly, it's the Ravens to lose right now. But let's see if they are going to give up the torch. I think it all comes down to division matchups there. If the Bengals or the Browns or the Steelers, any of these teams, that's the crazy thing is that the Browns are in fourth place in this division at five and five. And there's no reason to believe that the teams of top won't stop losing. It feels like anybody could still can take control of this division and win it. It's going to come down to those head to head matchups. And there are plenty of them left on the second half of the slate for the AFC North. And we just talked about that with the Bills. They have the Patriots twice in the latter half of the season. That's going to be critical for the AFC East as well. And they bounced back this week after their loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars and beat the New York Jets. And they beat up on a pretty good. Josh Allen had a pretty good day himself. 21 of 28, 366 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. You had a running game, all add touchdowns. And that means Devin Singletary, Matt Breida, and Zach Moss as well. Bill's offense hasn't seemed to really miss a beat, or at least looks like they're back to where they were before their bye week, which has now been about a month. 
Do you think the Bills, now that they have kind of got through this sleepwalking stretch of their schedule where they had the bye week, then you follow that up with games against the Jags, the Jets, I think the Texans may be in there. It was three straight games against terrible teams. Do you think that they needed almost the Patriots to do what they've been doing to get this team refocused? Or is this just a team that has a lot of issues hidden right below the surface? Maybe a little sprinkle of both. I don't think anyone has been able to see a major flaw because of the competition you've been saying over the last month, five weeks, six weeks. But that pass defense and that defense is looking real right now. They forced five turnovers, forced three of 13 on third down conversions. This defense was looking awesome. But the other problem is they have like that early 2010s Pittsburgh Steelers vibe where they are so full of talent, but they love playing to the level of their competition. Yes, they win up, you know, they'll win those close games where they should blow, be blowing these teams out. Every now and again, they just absolutely beat the brakes off someone like they did to the Jets here. But I think that's the Bills' MO. It's kind of keeping those close games, yet they have control of those close games. Week 13, week 15, within twice within a three-week span, we get to see the Patriots and Bills line up. This is going to be a fun stretch. Right after talking about the AFC North Divisional matchups, these two teams back-to-back, these are going to be awesome. Jets, you're done. Joe Flacco, they gave us Joe Flacco. He's starting this week. Is Flacco elite? I mean, if Mike White's putting up 400 passing yards, there's no reason why Joe Flacco can't hang up 500. Minimum. Minimum. I like that. Joe Flacco is definitely elite. Yeah, no, that is an interesting thing to keep an eye on the rest of the year, how that quarterback position kind of goes about because we've seen now four different quarterbacks for the Jets this year, three of which up until Joe Flacco, it's too early to tell with him, have had games that have been stellar. We're talking Pro Bowl level, but we've also seen games from all three of these quarterbacks now where it is impossible at any level, at any age, to win a football game with the quarterback play that we've gotten so that, again, yeah, if you're going to watch the Jets this year, that's about the only thing worth trying to question and trying to evaluate until we get the free agency in the draft for them. Stop me if this sounds familiar. Cam Newton, debut game in Arizona, in the desert against the Cardinals, because it happened twice. Cam Newton back in Carolina, like we said at the top of the episode, where he started his Panther career. And he's reunited with his teammates back on the field. Comes in for a few plays. Two touchdowns off two plays in the first quarter. And man, the Panthers went on to spank the Arizona Cardinals. Yet again, missing Kyler Murray. DeAndre Hawkins on the lineup. Colt McCoy as the starting quarterback. Going 11 of 20. 107 yards with one interception. And Arizona had 169 total yards. Carolina, like I said, they scored quick. They scored often. And they never put took their foot off the gas in this game. CMC back with 23 touches and a buck 61, adding to that offense and the electric factory that was Cam Newton in this particular game. Arizona needs their starting quarterback and star receiver back more than ever. And could we potentially be seeing Carolina get a little bit hot with the familiar friend back at quarterback here in the last half of the season, Wally? If Cam Newton can get back to throwing the ball even somewhat effectively, 
his legs and his size are going to make Carolina a considerably better team than they were with Sam Darnold and was it Paul Walker, PJ Walker? I said Paul. PJ Walker, man. RIP Paul All right. Walker. Yeah, RIP Paul Walker is right. But no, this was a game that you couldn't really learn a lot about either team, in my opinion, just because of the mistakes Arizona made early. In the first three drives, let me just take you on a journey, Stephen. First drive, McCoy strip sacked at their own 18. Carolina takes it down and scores a touchdown. 7-0. All right, cool. Second drive of the game. Turnover on downs at your own 41. Tried to get a sneak on fourth and inches. Didn't get it. Carolina goes down the field, scores a touchdown. 14-0. Third drive of the game. Interception. After driving down the field, we know what turnovers do in this league. Carolina drives right down the field, kicks a field goal. It's 17-0 before people can sit down in their seats. Not a game that anybody can win, let alone when you have a quarterback named Colt McCoy. I don't think that there's much to be learned here. I think the Panthers did what they had to do. The defense forced the turnovers against a backup journeyman quarterback and got the win because of it. That's all this is. The Eagles go to mile high and beat up on Denver 30-13. to They go to 4-2 and on the road. Jalen Hurts, solid game, 16 of 23, buck 78, two touchdowns and a pick. And guess what? They have decided that running the ball is good. And it is continually to be good for this Eagles team. You have Jordan Howard, Boston Scott, Jalen Hurts combined for 217 rushing yards in this game. And here's the crazy thing is I actually think they might be a good football team when they're running the ball and run the ball with purpose. In their last three games, they beat the Detroit Lions 44-6. They lost a tight game to a team I believe is much better than their record indicates to the Chargers 27-24. And then... We saw this week beating up on the Broncos on the road, 30-13. to 13. When Miles Sanders gets back, it looks like this week from IR, this team could really take even another step forward because Miles Sanders is the best running back people don't know about or at least don't talk enough about in the NFL. Broncos are dead in the water, though. Get it out of your system. See ya. Gone. They're 5-5. Five five. 12 out of 16 AFC teams being over 500. Don't get used to saying that. This team is going straight to the gutter. And happy belated birthday to, to Devontae Smith. The Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver, four receptions, 66 yards, two touchdowns, and they were both filthy catches. Yeah, it only took well, a quarter of the season to realize, yeah, maybe we should be running the ball. Ironically, when your best running back on your team is on injured reserve, you decide to make this change in the offense. Yeah, he should be back put into the starting lineup here this week. And he should be happy about that. Finally, they're going to utilize me. Maybe they can keep this team in the game so we're not trying to have Jalen Hurts keep us alive in the passing game. Broncos are back on their bullshit. Yes, the the Eagles only outgained them by 80 yards. But I keep going back to the third down conversions. One of 11. Darius Slay with a fumble recovery for a touchdown. This is the biggest play in the game to me. Eagles are up 20 to 13. The Broncos are driving. Melvin Gordon fumbles the ball. Darius Slate picks it up, takes it to the house. And Teddy Bridgewater, who had the best opportunity to tackle this man, he just puts his head down and just pretends like he's charging at him. He makes a business decision. Or as Teddy likes to describe it, he was trying to quote unquote force him up the field. 
whatever the fuck that means. You need to force him on the ground before he takes this game and puts it out of reach, Teddy Bridgewater. Ridiculous. I think on top of a lot of other things in that locker room that's going on, that's not going to resonate well. Why would I wouldn't want to play for a quarterback that just did that, that's being criticized for that. You were barely back in the NFL, and that's how you, can, that's how you will treat your second and third opportunity. This Broncos team is dead. Miles Sanders getting back in the mix with that three to four to five headed running monster they have in Philadelphia. Maybe the Cowboys can start shaking their boots or at least give them a run for their money in the division, let alone the NFC. I just want to say in Teddy Bridgewater's defense, we talked about. Oh, fuck you. Teddy Bridgewater's defense. He's lucky he's in the league. Come on. You'll get a nice little comp package. Get a nice concussion. Who cares? Get Drew Locke back in there. See, I don't like Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think he's a good quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. But we always say that the NFL is a business. Owners want people to know. They want the players. GMs want the players to know. This is a business. Don't take it personally. That goes two ways. Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that knows that he is always at the edge of being out of the league. His knee literally almost blew up a few years ago. If someone appreciates being healthy and having that paycheck cash, it's him. And I understand that this this Broncos team has no allegiance to him. We know that they're not married to Teddy Bridgewater going forward. Why not if you're him? Say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to make sure I get myself a few more contracts down the road. You guys aren't going to be married to me. I'm not married to you. I understand that argument, but it's not like it's a 350-pound lineman. It's Darius Slay. They're roughly the same size. Hey, he's str- he's really strong, man. Fine. Oh, f- eat my dick. Teddy Bridgewater, fucking grow a pair. The Ravens travel to Miami for the Thursday night football matchup here. And the Dolphins surprise not only us two, probably about 90% of America coming out with a 22-10 victory, holding the number one rushing offense to just 94 yards when they were averaging 161 yards per game, that being the Baltimore Ravens. The Finns forced Lamar to throw the ball. He went 26-43, 238, one touchdown, one interception, held him to 39 of that 94 rushing yards. Sammy Watkins fumbling the ball. Classic Sammy. God, he's crazy, man. Uh, that fumble was returned for a touchdown by Xavier Howards for 49 yards. Tua, not named the starter as an emergency quarterback, ended up coming into this game and leading the Dolphins to victory, which if he's an emergency quarterback, he should have been in the whole time. But whatever, he he pulled the trick out of his own book and got put in a halftime of a, of a game that the Dolphins really needed to win. Stop me if that sounds familiar as well, Wally. Guess that's more of a pigskins and pylon talk that you'd be, uh, I'd be referring to. But the Ravens losing was a huge shocker. I don't think it's anything that's going to be a big deal. They were hot. They had to travel on a short week down to Miami. They got, they essentially got a bye week now, with a lot of rest going into all these divisional matchups. That Miami team was way hungrier for a win than the Ravens were, and two is just out there proving his worth. And all this, all these rumors of Deshaun Watson coming in, him being in all those trade talks. No, I'm your quarterback, and this is why. Hell of a game by two. You got to give it to him. And as a Ravens fan, would you be worried about this performance? I'd be annoyed because you lost, like you said earlier, a lot of games that you could have, or a lot of ground that you could have made up on the AFC North teams. 
Bengals being on a bye, the Steelers tie, and the Browns loss. So I was happy that you brought that up earlier. But beyond that, no, I, I do think this is a little bit of an anomaly. You have a, a short week, like you said, on Thursday. You caught the Dolphins on a bad day. Don't look into this any more than it already is. That's it, Stephen. As for the Dolphins, I would say, similar to you with the Tua thing, if you are healthy, it kind of annoys me that he wasn't able to play. And now it really does give a lot of that excitement again over this great performance. And I wonder how much of it is that the defense for Miami was prepared for, excuse me, for Baltimore was prepared for Jacoby Brissett in this game. And when Tua comes in, I mean, there's not a lot of times where you can say it's a noticeable difference in quarterback, but Tua is a little bit more mobile and he's a left-handed quarterback. Like there's a lot of things that do change with Tua coming into this game. Throw it out if you're a Ravens fan. If you're a Dolphins fan, at least it's the Eagles pick you're screwing up by winning. Might as well keep it going. That's all I have for that one. I wish we could skip this next game, but we have to do it because that's what we do here. The Lions go to Pittsburgh, tie the Steelers, and what might have been one of the worst, most painful games to watch in a long time. Big Ben was ruled out before the weekend because of COVID, meaning that Mason Rudolph got the start in this game. He went 30 of 50. That's a lot of passes for 242 yards. Touchdown in an INT. Goff in this game, believe it or not, he had like 50 total passing yards late in the fourth quarter. It's a testament to what this defense did on Sunday that they hung around, forcing turnovers left and right, two of which in overtime, one being with eight seconds left when it looked like the Steelers might be kicking a game-winning field goal. Uh, You know, I don't know who I feel worse for here. Because I felt like this was an opportunity for the Lions to get off the schneid, finally get a win, and now there's only eight games left. We're starting to get to that point where it's like, is this happening again? Are the Lions really going to go winless for a second time, and this time being in a 17-game season? That's crazy. It wasn't Weren't they were the first ones with the 0-16? Because the Buccaneers were 0-14 before. Browns, luckily for them, joining them a few years later. I, I don't know. I feel bad for Lions fans that they didn't pull this one out. But then at the Steelers... On the other side, I I mean, they needed to win this game. If you thought you were going to be a playoff team, this is a game that 100% had to be yours. Who is this more painful for? This is just hilarious. Lions are the first 0-16 team, yes. They may do it again, but 0-16 and 1. And 1. Could you imagine only tying? It's like, yeah, 0-16, yeah, we almost had the opportunity to win games. You tied 0-16 and 1. And missed the game-winning kick in overtime. And it was an ugly attempt. My, I thought it was blocked, and it wasn't blocked. It was hideous. And Pittsburgh was giving this game to the Detroit Lions. Goff, 14 of 25 with 114 yards. He was sacked four times, and once you take away that yardage, 77 total yards in the passing game for Jared Goff. Both these teams combined... 11 of 35 on third down. I feel like I'm just a broken record of third downs, but that's how bad some of these games were. But 11 of 35, Pittsburgh turned the ball over three times, twice in overtime, including that Detroit still can't do anything. This has got to hurt. And for the for the Lions fan base, you didn't lose, right? You didn't lose. This has to be a victory for the Yinzer fan base. This is embarrassing. Even with Mason Rudolph. You have to win this game. 
50 pass attempts for this dude. Mike Tomlin in his presser here just this past week. Yeah, you know, we don't really change the offense that much. It's not like Mason Rudolph is that much of an athlete. You know, obviously there's a little bit of a drop down from, from Big Ben in a talent standpoint. But athletically, Mike Tomlin doesn't want to change that game plan. I get that, man. 50 pass attempts. I don't care if it went into overtime. Just give it to Najee Harris. Get Mason Rudolph the fuck out of the play. Pittsburgh cannot have a have a game like this again, but this seems to be the type of team they are since they started 11-0 last year. And that 12th game, they just have not ever been the same. I do feel bad for Pat Fryermuth in having to fumble with eight seconds left because he had a really good game here. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but he, he if you are going to take a positive as a Steeler fan, you have a tight end that looks to be as much a part of the offense as you've had probably since Heath Miller. And that has done wonders for this offense this year. You can tell even with Big Ben regressing, it's a big deal to have that extra big target in the red zone. The last game here in Hair of the Dog, which I know you want to get through pretty quickly. That's why I put it on here for you, bud. You're welcome. The Kansas City Chiefs mollywop the Las Vegas Ra- Raiders in the Death Star. Pat Mahomes putting up five touchdowns with 406 yards. Daryl Williams, 20 touches for 144 and a touchdown. Derek Carr, up two touchdowns, one interception, 261 yards. But man, oh man, everyone will not shut the fuck up about how the Kansas City Chiefs are back. I don't really want to harp too much on this game because I'm not going to lie. I was asleep. I knew I had someone watching this game. Someone in particular I'm doing a podcast with. Wally, I wanted to open up to you. Are the Chiefs back? I do not think they are. And are the Raiders doing Raiders thing? Is that time of the year where they start doing this? And do you see it coming from a mile away right now? I feel like I've been calling for it since the preseason when you look at the actual schedule for the Raiders. Hardest in the NFL in the last eight weeks of the season. You know what that means. I'm going to be miserable for the next two months. I'm not going to say the Chiefs are back yet. I need to see them do it against a team not in the Raiders. I talked last week about how the Steelers and Browns, how they have that kind of dynamic between them. And I think every division seems to have those where one team owns another. It doesn't matter how the teams are playing. It just always comes out that way. The Chiefs own the Raiders. I hate to say it, but it's the facts. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, what happened for the Chiefs here. If their offense stays like this, I get to have my head full on my pillow at night knowing that it was the Raiders that put them back on track. That's gross. So I'm not going to say that yet. After next week, if we have another performance like this again, maybe. But I had a couple things I wanted to say real quick from a Raiders side. Before I throw this over, we can be done with Hair of the Dog. Deshaun Jackson, you could tell. I know that he fumbled in his only reception. And that's a really weird way to start a positive thing about Deshaun Jackson here. But you could feel how much more vertical and how much more explosive this offense can be. Having a vertical threat that can open things up underneath. Deshaun Jackson wasn't able to play as much as we would probably see him in the rest of the season. But what he did do on the field was make a difference. And it's a shame that fumble happened when it did. This is a 24-14 game. Raiders had a little bit of momentum. It felt like they might be able to get back in this game with the score. What's Derek Carr do? He he delivers a strike to Deshaun Watson down to the 15. Looked like he had a chance to get inside the 5, maybe even score. But instead, Madden glitched and started running backwards and sideways and fumbled, and the Chiefs go down and score a touchdown, going up 17. Instead of it being a three-point game, it's 17, and the game's over. 
my last, last thing on this game. If you, anybody out there watched, and if you've known me for a while, you know that I saw it. Derek Carr, in his career, has been on a team that's defense has given up the most points in quarterback history in his career. As in, the Raiders have averaged giving up 26.9 points per game in his tenure. Yet people want to sit there and expect him to just casually drop 28 a game forever? Is that what we're supposed to do? That's what people want to have happen? Eight years in his career. This is how long it took for someone to give a stat like this so that people are finally, oh yeah, you know what? Maybe Derek Carr's not that bad because he's had a good year. He's been good. He just finally had an offense that was built to actually perform. Defense that was good enough to actually get off the field. This is just such a sick season. Such a twisted, gross joke for Raiders fans. John Gruden saga. Henry Ruggs debacle. And now we have no vertical threat going into the toughest part of our schedule. And everybody is just pinned back ready to say the Raiders are doing the Raiders things again. I just, I'm tired. You need some tabbies, bud. I'm glad you brought up tabbies, Steven. We do want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by tabbies.com, the best LTA THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, and made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem because Tab Ease offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure it that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, TabEase.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a while. And don't get me wrong, this isn't a fix, but it does make me feel more at ease, hence the name. Whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, whether they were a sponsor or not. So please go out and follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tabby's Co. That's Tabby's Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbies.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get the 20% off your entire order and the free shipping Stephen was talking about. So man, let's talk some more games that we actually want to talk about now. First game, the Tennessee Titans continue to roll, winning their sixth straight, beating the New Orleans Saints 23-21 to here. Ryan Tannehill, 19-27 with 213 yards, one touchdown, also adding a rushing touchdown here. They are clearly missing King Henry in that backfield because their running backs only combined for 65 rushing yards this week. Trevor Simeon on the other side here. Somehow are keeping the Saints in games. Don't know how much we trust him. Alvin Kamara not playing in this game as well. Mark Ingram having a nice one, but Trevor Simeon with slightly under 300 yards with two touchdowns. Main thing we want to talk about, the Tennessee Titans. They're rolling, like I said, six straight here. And with the easiest strength of schedule remaining in the back half of the, of the schedule, should the Tennessee Titans not be the favorite of the AFC right now, Wally? Did you have any takeaways about the Saints? Do you think that they can still be competitive without consistent quarterback play? And like I said, are the Titans in the driver's seat at this point? Well, I guess for the Saints first, Trevor Simeon is a much more natural fit into this Sean Payton offense we've seen in the last few years, opposed to Jameis Winston, where you're asking a guy to change who he is. 
So I think Simeon's going to be able to keep them in games. Now, win games, I think that's a different story. That's going to be a little bit more challenging. I think the Saints season kind of ended with Jameis' knee, unfortunately gave up on him. But who knows? Maybe he can keep him in closer. I'll change my tune if they can start winning some games here. But for the Titans, yeah, this is a weird situation that we're talking about. The only team in the AFC this year that seems to want to win games. And they now are playing without arguably the most impactful running back we've seen in a long time in the NFL. At least probably since Adrian Peterson about a decade ago. So this is a very, very depleted Titans team with now Julio Jones also being out and on IR for a little while as well. They have effectively that four-game lead against the Colts, so I think that their focus right now is going to be on getting healthy. Next few weeks, with that running back deficiency, you talked about how they had only 60-some-odd rushing yards from the running backs. That, I think, will be a focus, is getting that offensive line to running game going more and making Ryan Tannehill's job a lot easier, or at least game manager-ish, until he's able to get back. But unless you have anything else you want to say there, we'll go over now to the Bucks who lost back-to-back games, losing to a Washington football team 29-19. That's back-to-back weeks now that we've seen Tampa Bay lose to Trevor Simeon last week and Taylor Heineke this week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneer whisperer. Tom Brady, he's had two interceptions in the first quarter in this game, which turned into 10 Washington football team points, and that led them to be trailing 13-0. I don't care if you're the best quarterback in the history of the NFL If you fall down two scores early in games, it's very, very difficult to come back. It completely derails your game plan. The script of the offense puts a defense in a tough spot. And you see it a lot, ironically, in basketball, where you you fight so hard to get back into the game, it's really going to take another gear to win it. And I think they just ran out of that on Sunday. They lose a close game. But realistically, I don't think that this game changes too much for either of these teams. How about you? Washington, no. That was just a team that was at home. Like you said, they had a couple they had a couple takeaways early in that game, had control, and they were able to keep it throughout the duration of that game. Tampa, they just need to get their secondary, their defense healthy yesterday. They need it so bad, and I think you said it the best when we were talking about it in the earlier segment. They just they look bored. They look like a cat that's played with the same toy for the past four years. Like, man, we I need like a live mouse now. Give me a challenge, which they didn't live up to the challenge in this game. But the defense needs to get healthy. The offense, Gronk, needs to get back in the lineup. Antonio Brown needs to get back in the lineup so they can be firing on all cylinders. But they clawed their way back into this game. And their defense let them down, allowing Taylor Heineke to drive and cap off a game with a 19-play, 10-minute, 26-second touchdown drive that put the game away you can't have that multiple third downs being picked up on this drive tom brady sitting on the sideline not being able to do anything a lot of people enjoy that site it's a it's a rarity so i actually enjoyed that site but there has to be a lot of question marks like i said directed at that defense that's trevor simeon and taylor heineke with a bye week in between those as your last two losses Now, I want to pose this question to you. Do you think that there should be panic in Tampa? I know you already kind of alluded to it, but they have the Giants. They're at Indy. They're at Atlanta. Home against the Bills Saints. They play in the the Jets, and they have Carolina twice. 
you think that there should be some panic here in the on the second half of the season for the Tampa Bay Suckineers? Back to the old name? Wow, I haven't heard that in a little while here. But no, I don't think that this is anything to really panic over if I am Tampa Bay. It's like we were both saying now, this division is a garbage dump. They've already won it. It's just a matter of trying to get that focus back. That's the only concern I'd have the rest of the year is if you are unfocused towards the tail end of the year, it's hard to just flip the switch. I know Tom Brady's been there. I don't think that that'll be an issue. You'll have the team ready to go. It's just, what, turnovers. The last two games, allowed 17 points off turnover in the loss of the Saints. So on top of the 10 points in the first quarter against the Washington football team. Nothing to panic about here. We'll go to the next game. The Vikings win in L.A. and beat the Chargers 27-20. to And this was really a testament to what the Vikings offense did in the second half of this game. In their final three possessions of this game, they had a nine-play, 66-yard touchdown drive to put them up three late in the third, a 12-play, 68-yard touchdown drive to go up 10 midway through the fourth, and then when the Chargers did manage to cut it back down to seven points, they ended the game with a 10-play, 36-yard drive. The Chargers' rushing defense kind of let them down again here, but at the same clip, you're looking at a Vikings team that has played really tight games all year and doesn't feel like the 4-5 and five record does them any justice. Justin Jefferson added another monster day, nine catches, 143 yards. Do you think the Vikings can get themselves back into the NFC wildcard talks? I absolutely can. They have Dalvin Cook consistently healthy. They can keep this passing offense consistent. Now, this is an offense that has the lowest amount of interceptions with two on the year. That's all. Kirk Cousins is playing some decent ball. Just keep him away from the primetime spotlight because that's one thing that has not changed. Man cannot play. One o'clock on Sundays, he's a stud. Four o'clocks, yeah. Okay. Primetime, no, no, keep him away. But Chargers losing the last three or four, that's bad. As a Packers fan, this upcoming week, it's Vikings week. Her cousins will get to that 3-3 three and three against the Packers. Maybe they can get back to 500 or above, start making that wild card push. Honestly, I can't. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Also, wouldn't really be surprised if they just shat the bed the rest of the season. It was impressive to me that they beat this Los Angeles Chargers team, not with the ground game alone. Dalvin Cook, yes, had 94 yards with the team, totaled nine more with 103. But Kirk Cousins, 25-37, 394 yards and two touchdowns. You know Justin Jefferson had the big day. They had the aerial attack here, something you thought was the best part of the Chargers team just got annihilated by Kirk Cousins. He's not going to turn the ball over. He is more than happy giving the ball to Dalvin Cook because he'll run all over you. And I think that this team can get hot with the remnants and the memory from two, three years ago when they did the exact same thing. Started off pretty slow. All of a sudden, they, they hit their stride and they started beating teams and being on the other side of these close games. Did a little bit of deja vu. Right now, I think the Vikings are going to make their way into the wild card push as of right now. I will say that for the Chargers, I think you also summed it up really well. Their their record isn't indicative of what the team actually is and how they can perform. They're just they look like a second year quarterback is leading that team. They're Plato right now. They need to be molded and need that identity. Wally and I keep talking about. I think the Chargers will find it down the stretch. They will find themselves in the playoffs. But I like this Vikings team a lot right now, and if their defense side of the ball can the way that they have in these last couple weeks, they can be a force to be reckoned with. 
I want to be the one to throw us into this next game because it is your Packers game and one I think you're going to have a lot of fun talking about. Russell Wilson, in his comeback game, is shut out in the first time of his NFL career. Defense, I mean, this has got to just be such a breath of fresh air for you and Packer fans after the last 10 years that you've seen where it feels like the offense is doing it in spite of the defense. You had a game this time on Sunday where the defense flat out dominated. Offense wasn't as crisp as we've seen it before. And what did they do? They just they shut down Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. Win this game 17 to nothing. I'm going to just give you the floor. It's yours. Got to be some kind of fired up about the defense on Sunday. I love this this defense. You know, I'm very high. I don't want to go as far as saying they're elite because I don't know. You'd have to really look at the stats, look at the track record. But Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Those are the last three quarterbacks Green Bay's have played. And they've been in every single one of them because they've won two of those three. And with Jordan Love at the helm in the third, they almost came out with a victory there if a couple passes went Green Bay's way. This defense is playing lights out without their top two players in the lineup right now. I alluded to it last week. Their linebackers are playing great. This melting pot of cornerbacks that they have, of Kevin King, you have Razul Douglas. Honestly, you have people that I don't even know that are just making their way into the secondary and they're playing at a high level. Russell Wilson, I don't care if he's coming off an injury, being shut off for the first time in his career, that is nothing to just shake a stick at. This is great. Aaron putting having a nice game, a very slow game back as well, 23 of 37, 292 with just an interception. But A.J. Dillon, 21 touches with 66 yards and two touchdowns. With Aaron Jones going down with an MCL sprain expected to be out one, one to two weeks here, A.J. Dillon is going to be that primary back, and I like it a lot for this Packers offense their offensive line getting healthy here in the next couple weeks aj Dillon getting this valuable playing time for when those playoffs roll around are great more on this defense 50 percent completion percentage by russ 161 yards two interceptions only five completions to wide receivers dk and lockett combined for five yard five receptions for 49 yards and i want to i want to flip it back to you i you know as the outsider like I was saying before, I think Dallas should be the favorite in the NFC, but I think Green Bay is the most complete team in the NFC right now. They need to get more healthy. So what are your thoughts on how the Green Bay team's looking now? And with Russell Wilson and the turmoil with all the rumors circulating last year of him wanting out of Seattle, what makes you think he's not going to want out this offseason? Oh, I think he desperately would want out this offseason. It's just a matter of if it happens. I think he's just a different personality than Aaron Rodgers. That's why you saw a different dynamic in the offseason. But as for your Packers question, though, I love this team. I really, really like the makeup. And the fact that you have a hungry Aaron Rodgers knowing that he's running out of time to get that second Super Bowl and really boost that resume of his, you're going to have a very hungry Packers team come postseason. I think the question here is just in the NFC, who's going to get the bye? And who's going to get home field? Because if the playoffs run through Lambeau Field, I think the Packers have a very realistic shot to not only make a Super Bowl, but potentially win one. That's just the question we're going to have to see over the next few months. And I know this is unfair because I just said how much I love the Packers. And I'm going to eventually get to the picks later. I think they have a really tricky matchup with Minnesota this next week. Especially coming off those three quarterbacks and those three high-profile matchups. I think it's as close to a trap game as you could get 
for a division rival. Well, if you are good to go, then we are going to go into our final game of the week where the 49ers smoked the Rams in OBJ's debut. This game was very similar to me to that Arizona game earlier in the day where the 49ers capitalized on a couple early turnovers in this game, and that effectively ended this. The Rams fell behind 21-7 at half, and the 49ers only had two offensive drives, if you exclude the kneel down to end the half. 49ers look like they're at least trying to get back into the things, at least in the NFL wildcard race in perspective. But the Rams now, this is a little bit of a tricky game to look at because it is OBJ's debut. Robert Woods tore his ACL last week. We haven't had a chance to bring that up yet. Didn't have a glorious debut by any stretch. He had two catches on his three targets for 18 yards. And the third target was picked off on that opening drive. Weird game to really try to draw a lot out of. I don't know if you feel similarly. This is why the Cowboys are my favorite. I cannot trust the Rams right now. Show me their wins in a team that has more than two or three victories, even at this time or at the time of them playing. The Rams can't beat good teams. The only good teams they've played, they're getting smoked by. They got smoked by the Titans the week prior. And this is not even a good 49ers team or to the standards there in San Francisco. But Kyle Shanahan loves giving it to Sean McVay. Because it seems like Shanahan just owns him over these last few divisional matchups. Matt Stafford looking like they want to force feed OBJ with that interception. It was horrible. It was ugly. Two interceptions in the first, like you said, just completely takes this game out of reach. On the road, in the prime time, all those eyes on you. Stafford's not used to that. He's used to playing with the in the dome with the lights. He can see the sky through it. Not this. He's not used to the nighttime. He's getting nervous out here. San Francisco led by the turnovers. Not only the turnovers, but they dominate with time of possession with over 39 minutes. Take Matt Stafford out, and when he comes in, he, all he does is turn the ball over. Von Miller not looking fully integrated into that defense yet. I don't know how much to really dig deep into this Rams loss, but back-to-back, it's looking bad, and their resume of wins doesn't even look that good. Philadelphia Dream Team vibes right now, Wally? Not quite. I think that the Rams still have too much talent there, and I like their quarterback played more than that Eagles team back in the day. Also fun to talk about with that is that Nomdi Osamwa went to the Eagles in that exchange, still have his Raiders jersey about 150 pounds ago. So I don't know why that's still in the closet, but it's there. Anyways, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I don't so. know why you're still in the closet. I got nothing to say to that. I will say that the Rams, though, I like that. I like their defense too much to put them in that same category. Now, the offense has to get better. I, Odell is going to have to click and click fast because otherwise, I don't think Cooper is going to be able to do what he's been doing all year unless they have the respect of a second receiver. And I, I don't know if he's going to have that quite yet. We'll see. It's got a long way to go the second half of the season before I'm willing to say that they're a complete bust of a team. But what do you say we jump into our NFL bets of this new week? What the hell's going on out here? That's right. Week 11, we got the NFL bets. The Denver Broncos, Los Angeles Rams, the aforementioned Los Angeles Rams. Thank God they need a break more than ever. Both those teams are on the bye. In our Thursday night matchup this week, the New England Patriots are six and a half point favorites visiting the Atlanta Falcons. The over and under is set at 47 here. 
I really have no idea what to think of this matchup. You have a team that just got embarrassed in Dallas, only putting up a field goal in that game. Now they're at home, and they have a visiting team on a short week. Now the Pats are winners of four straight, traveling on a short week. New England's defense right now, eighth in passing yards allowed, second least in points per game, and allowing the third lowest completion percentage. I don't know how much I trust Matt Ryan after putting up that performance against a secondary in Dallas that's nowhere near, in my mind, as good as this New England secondary. Without Cordero Patterson, possibly a game-time decision not being able to be in this game, I don't know if I trust Russell Gage, Mike Davis, in this offense to lead you to victory, or quite frankly, really even covering in this game. Thursday night football teams, the home team is 6-5. Six and five. Six of those games are within one possession. The last two games have been double-digit wins by the home team. So even though I was giving all that Matt Ryan slander, short week, hot team, going to Atlanta after a team that just got embarrassed. I'd like Atlanta to cover this, and I'll actually buy the half point, make it a full seven. But I like New England overall, so I'm taking their money line as well. It's a good idea to buy the half point. I hate it when it sits at that six and a half, especially if you are going to bet the underdog. I think that's smart. I don't think that it's going to be that close, though, so I actually am going to not agree with you. I'm going to go with New England minus six and a half in the money line here. I think the Patriots are just a well-oiled machine as they're set up right now. And Atlanta, I know that it's weird. This is such a rat game. You hear me use the word rat line quite often. This is to sniff morons like myself out because New England's coming off one of their best stretches of the entire year while at the same point the Falcons just got humiliated in Dallas. Everybody's going to be on New England. And here I am. I know that's a stupid thing to do. Vegas is always right. Atlanta should cover because I said that. But I just feel like New England, this is kind of like the Baltimore-Miami game last week. It looks to me like New England should blow them out. Baltimore should have blown out Miami. Weird things happening. If anything, I'd say stay away. But Atlanta, like you said, with Cordero Patterson potentially missing the game, I don't know where the points are going to come from to cover. And I just don't feel super comfortable betting one way or another until I know about him. So in a a drop-ish kind of game, but if I wasn't doing that, Patriots minus six and a half in the money line. The Colts are traveling to Buffalo for a pretty important game here for both of these teams as the Buffalo Bills are seven and a half point favorites trying to stay ahead of that New England Patriots team and they'll have at least an idea of where New England sits on Sunday morning before this game goes. I don't know. I I think this is a Colts team that's going to understand the situation they're in. They're one of 12 teams that are 500 or better, and they're on the low totem pole of that at 5-5 five and five, and already with two division losses. It's a really desperate situation, I think, for Indianapolis, and I think they're going to play Buffalo tough. I think the Bills will win this game, but I think the Colts are going to cover to 7.5. This seems to be a matchup nightmare for the Indianapolis Colts. The Bills are the number one defense, second in passing. Third in the rushing, only allowing 85 yards per game. Jonathan Taylor has been on a tear. Literally seems like since Derrick Henry went out that Jonathan Taylor's just been absolutely balling. But he needs to continue the streak if he wants Indianapolis to not only cover, but to be able to win this game. The pass offense for Indy right there in the middle of the pack in the passing yards. Seventh lowest completion percentage at 63, just slightly above 63%. 
And again, against the number two passing defense in the league, that just this defensive unit just causing the Jets to turn the ball over five times. Now, I can't really get a read on the Bills right now, but Josh Allen and the boys should be able to take advantage of their Indianapolis Colts middle-of-the-pack defense overall and what they're able to present. With that being said, Carson Wentz has at least two touchdowns in six of those last seven games. Even though I think that this is a tough test, and what I said before is I think that the Bills really like to play to the level of their competition. I think the Colts also looking to string a few wins together and get back above 500 to really put a stamp on the season, a nice turning point to maybe be competitive in that division or fight for that wild card spot. I do think that the Colts are going to be ready to play in this game, covering the seven and a half, but I like Buffalo to win the game overall, Wally. We're both on the same page on that. The Baltimore Ravens are four and a half point favorites. This line just keeps on moving and moving at the Chicago Bears. Over and under is set at 45 and a half here. Originally, I'd like Chicago at plus six. Right now, I'm going to take the Baltimore Ravens at minus four and a half. So, like we were saying here last week, Baltimore with the number one rushing defense. Chicago is allowed the 10th most yards per game, the 122.8 there on the ground. Khalil Mack and that unit needs to be ready for Lamar Jackson. If the Bears really want an opportunity to win this game, take a little blueprint from Miami. Make Lamar Jackson pass it. Because Chicago is 10th best in the yards per game allowed in the passing game with only 226. And yes, Baltimore is 12th. But if you could take away that running element from Lamar, I still do not trust that he can beat you and get these wins with just strictly his arm alone. Your boy, Justin Fields, has an opportunity to get a nice passing game going because the Ravens have given up the most passing yards per game in the NFL through the first half here. But Chicago is the worst passing offense in the league with only 144 yards per game. Yeesh. And the least amount of touchdowns with five. So I'm not expecting Chicago to light up this defense, but maybe keep it a little bit competitive. And a one-possession game, just that one possession just happens to be six points and not the three points. Both these teams know how to get after the quarterback, but both these quarterbacks are mobile. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens at minus four and a half, as well as I'm going to double up with their money line with this, Wally. I have a weird feeling about this game, just because if you look at how these teams are actually trending, I think the Bears have been progressively getting better on offense, especially this year, while the Ravens have had a really rough, about a month stretch here. Terrible game with the Bengals. They needed that really big comeback. They were down two scores to come back a couple weeks ago. And then last week, the loss to Miami. It makes me wonder about this Baltimore team a little bit. I think that because of what Chicago has been able to do, at least in their last couple games, like I said, their offense looks better. I, I think they're going to cover the spread here, and I think they're actually going to get the job done and win this game. I keep talking about how the AFC can't get out of their own way. I think this is more proof of that. The Ravens go into Chicago. I think they're going to really struggle to move the ball in this game, and it's a low-scoring game. So not only do I have Chicago plus 4.5 in the money line, I think I have the under of 45 too, because that's the recipe for the Bears to win this game, is to make this an ugly low-scoring game, and I think they do just that. The Detroit Lions still trying to get that first win of the year, going to Cleveland, and Cleveland seems like they're just trying to get their feet back on the ground after they've had just such a topsy-turvy kind of season. They're 11.5-point favorites here, with the over-under set at 43.5. 
Simply put, I'm having the Lions to cover. I don't necessarily think that the game's ever in doubt. That's why I have the Cleveland money line as well on this one. But I think the Lions, for maybe a quarter, maybe two, are able to hang around with the Browns before the running game and that offensive line for Cleveland is just all too much for Detroit. They win a game, like a really weird score. It's going to be like a 27-16 kind of deal. Oh, Lions back-to-back 16 points. I like that. The Lions, their passing game has under 2,000 yards on the season. That's under 2,000. There's only two other teams that have that. Actually, one other team, Chicago Bears. Cleveland, top 11 passing defense, allowed the 12th lowest completion percentage. Have fun, Jared Goff. You had a bad game against the Steelers. You're going to have another bad game against, against this Browns team that gets a lot of pressures, that got shat on last week, hungry to show and prove to people why they think that they're one of the top defenses in the league. And to flip it over, they need Nick Chubb back more than ever. Because like you said about Detroit, they're giving up the third most rushing yards at 135.7 yards per game. So Nick Chubb is going to have a huge game, and he's back. And quite frankly, you can put anyone back there. Pull Frank Gore out. Take him out of that boxing match. Throw him in that backfield. He's going easily for a buck fifty minimum. The Lions cannot stop anyone on this Browns roster that's in the backfield, and I think that's going to lead them to victory. And I think Cleveland's going to cover the 11.5 and the money line. Now, if Nick Chubb does end up being ruled out again, I will take the Lions points, depending on how much the spread moves. But Cleveland looking to right the wrong of what happened last week, get back on track in their winning ways, and blow out a Lions team that maybe is content with just tying after last week. From one double-digit spread to the next, we have the Houston Texans visiting, going to Nashville with the Tennessee Titans are 10-point favorites. The over-under is set at 44.5. I have Tennessee minus 10 here. And their money line. Tennessee secondary in that defense has been playing well. That defense over the last four games has nine turnovers. I like what that secondary is doing. And there's just so much inconsistent play in that offensive side of the ball for the Houston Texans. Not only that, during this eight-game losing streak that Houston has been on, six times during that has Houston lost by 10-plus points. Tennessee minus 10. I'm doubling down on their money line as well. I want to take Tennessee minus 10 with you really bad, but I think that their offense is going to struggle without Derrick Henry and Julio Jones, even if it's against Houston. And I think Tyrod Taylor, he's not looked great since he's been back from injury by any stretch. I think he threw three picks last week. But I think he's going to do enough to hang around that 10, 10 and a half here. So I'm going to say Houston plus 10. Tennessee wins. I, I think that... Houston, it would take almost like a minor miracle to find wins for them on their schedule right now, even with Derrick Henry and Julio Jones out. But I think they're able to keep this competitive on the road. Tennessee wins, but closer than most people think it'll be. Your Green Bay Packers now are traveling to Minnesota as two-and-a-half-point road favorites. And I kind of hinted at it a little while ago. I should have mentioned, too, it's a 49-and-a-half over-under. But I did hint at this earlier that I have a weird feeling about the Packers in this game. This isn't an indictment on the season or anything like that. This is a much better than a 4-5 and five record Minnesota Vikings team. They bring in Green Bay, and I was surprised because this had been, until I really got to know you, I hadn't paid a ton about the Green Bay Packers divisional record since I left Wisconsin, wait, 10 years ago. I didn't realize Minnesota's won five of the last 10 matchups with the Packers, 
5-4-1 in that stretch. I forgot that tie existed too, crazy enough. This is a game that I think the Vikings are going to be able to do just enough to not only cover the 2.5, but win. Kirk Cousins, you've been mentioning, he's been so good this year. And he's another one of those guys that I feel like just gets constantly destroyed by the media and he doesn't stand up for himself. So it's just this narrative that we've run with is a football culture. But I don't think he's nearly the average quarterback think people want him to be. I think he's solid. And I think he's solid enough on Sunday to get this win and unfortunately for you, put the Vikings very much back into the playoff race. It's a, it's a 1 p.m. game. Kirk Cousins, like I said, 3-3-1 three, three and one since being the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings against Green Bay. So that's his career record there, just while being up in Minneapolis. And the secret sauce has been in the rushing game, led by Dalvin Cook. Because Minnesota's rushing the ball ninth best with just slightly under 123 yards per game. And this is a place where Green Bay's defense struggles, allowing just slightly above 107 yards per game. Now, this is a good chance because he flipped the script. A.J. Dillon is going up against a Minnesota defense that's allowed 130. As of right now, these passing defenses really aren't too far apart from each other. They're one spot from yardage. Six, 60 yards separate them of what they're allowing in the average. But Minnesota's the favorite between the two. Same amount of touchdowns. Both the quarterbacks don't turn the ball over. But I trust Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson a little bit better than Devontae Adams, and the rest. That's the second receiver for Green Bay. Whoever Aaron throws the ball to, there's not a set guy. But with that being said, I cannot bet against the Packers' defense right now. And as a Packers fan, as a this being a one-possession game line, I can see this being a 24-21. Maybe Mason Crosby gets back on track and it's a game-winning field goal. Well, that sounds right. I don't like the, I don't like the over-under in this game. I'm staying away. But I like Green Bay, minus two and a half is the favorite here. And continuing the streak and hopefully dampering some of the plans of Minnesota making that wild card run, even though we're both pretty high on them. The Miami Dolphins are three and a half point favorites going up to MetLife Stadium, playing the New York Jets, the Joe Flacco-led New York Jets. I'm sorry I'm underselling that right there. The over-under is set at 45 for this game. Joe Flacco's back, maybe. Is he going to return with a bang? Like I said, 500 yards minimum is what I'm expecting from him. And he will be facing a Dolphins pass defense, giving up the fifth most yards and the fifth most touchdowns with just an average rush defense. So expect Michael Carter to catch some receptions out of the backfield. Him and Ty Johnson, two-headed running monster, attacking that Dolphins rush defense that played pretty well against the Ravens last week. Two of his name the starter here. Looking to continue from his great second half of play here in that Ravens game. And two is going to be facing a Jets defense, basically bottom five in any category. If it's completion percentage, if it's yards, if it's yards per game, if no matter what, they're basically bottom five. I like the Dolphins minus three and a half in this game, and I'll take their money line with you. Okay, this game, I don't want to bet. Really, I don't want to bet. But with that being said, I'm wacko for Flacco. The Jets are going to win this game. They're not only covering the three and a half. You know my opinion on Tua, and I hate to keep just dogging on a guy that hasn't really done anything all that wrong. I just don't think he's a starting quarterback, or at least what people think he is there. We've seen what the Jets have been able to accomplish in this last few weeks without Zach Wilson. It doesn't seem to really matter who that guy is. As long as Flacco knows this system, he knows this offense... I think he's going to be able to do enough to keep the Jets in this game. 
and the Dolphins can't get out of their own way either. I'm calling for a Dolphins turnover to make this Jets win happen. But, I mean, call this a little bit of foreshadowing, but I don't want to touch this game. The next one, though, even though it's only set at two points, the Eagles two points favorites against the Saints at home, I am a lot more confident in this game. The over-under is set at 43.5, but the Eagles are going to win. They're going to cover the two, and I'm taking the money line. The Saints, with everything going on at the quarterback position, I know I was pretty nice about Trevor Simeon a little while ago, but I don't think that he's going to be able to like go out and win games like this. Assuming that the Eagles are able to do what they have been doing and running the ball, and with Miles Sanders likely back, I think they're going to have success. I don't care how good the defense is for the Saints. And if they are able to control the clock in this game, I think you're going to see a Saints team struggle to move the ball, maybe turn it over a couple times. And I think the Eagles actually win this game going away. I think they win this game by like 14 to 17 points. That, you summed it up best. We have to take your uh, cross-state rival here, the Philadelphia Eagles, minus two. New Orleans, inconsistent. I don't know if Trevor Simeon can get it done here. Going back on the road after a couple heartbreaking losses. Yes, I think you'll be able to keep it. At worst, I think that this game will push. Maybe Philadelphia wins by a field goal. They get that rushing attack. They get Miles Sanders back in that starting lineup with what seems to be a good rushing attack between Boston, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, and you also can have Jalen Hurts run out of the pocket. This isn't that good of a pass defense for the New Orleans Saints, what we what we thought it was, you know, about quarter quarter way through the season. Jalen Hurts has an opportunity to torch these guys, but let the the rushing offense open that up for you. All of a sudden, the Eagles are going to start pushing for that five hundred, like we said, start knocking on the Cowboys' doors, wondering why no one's taking them serious. This is one of the games that they get to put in the W column. Eagles minus two, staying away from the over-under at 43.5. The Washington football team going to the Carolina Panthers where Cam Newton is trending towards starting. Panthers three-point favorites, over-under set at 43 here. And I'm going with the Carolina Panthers at minus three and their money line here. Cam Newton back in Charlotte. You know he's going to start. The crowd is going to be insane. That team is going to be juiced up, jacked up, however you want to put it, to play. And Washington's going to still be riding that high and fizzle out here in this game. You can't take Washington too serious. Ron Rivera going back to Carolina as well, where he debuted his head coaching career, led that team to Super Bowl here a few years ago with that quarterback. There's going to be a lot of emotions in this game. But will Ron Rivera and Cam Newton hug because Cam Newton's not vaccinated? That's the real question, Wally. That's where the real prop bets will come into play. Actually, unfortunately for you, did get vaccinated before he got signed. So he probably will have no excuse but to hug him, assuming they actually want to hug. And in these two guys going back to Carolina at the same time, talk about how fitting of a matchup this is. And I should have brought this up earlier and I forgot to. I love that Cam Newton debut stat that you had in Arizona. So credit to you. That was a really, really good find. But no, I, I'm with you also with Carolina minus three in the money line here. This is probably the first time this year I looked at a slate of NFL games and I'm really kind of worried about a lot of these. Like there are a lot of matchups that I feel like Vegas drilled the line for. I wish I had three or four drops, but the way we've been doing when we've been confident, maybe perhaps it's better that I'm a little worried. But I have the Panthers 
To cover the three, I think Cam Newton is going to probably add in at least a rushing touchdown. We just have to see if his arm is actually the old Carolina Cam Newton's arm. Because what we saw in his last two seasons in Carolina, in his season in New England, leads you to believe that whether it was the surgeries, whether it was the injuries, his shoulder's not the same as it used to be. And that's it's funny because I'm saying all this and now I'm like talking myself into Washington. But I know I'm sticking to it. Carolina wins this game, money line and minus three. San Francisco is traveling to Jacksonville. They're a six and a half point road favorite themselves. 45 and a half is the over under in this game. This was another one. I thought there was like a trick or something when I saw the line. I think San Francisco covers and I think they cover easy in this game. Their style of play to not turn the ball over. Let's run the ball. As long as we don't fall behind, we're going to be in a position to win the game at the end. This is the perfect team to play their style of play with. I think that they're going to beat Jacksonville, and I think they're going to beat them, again, kind of like Philadelphia, a lot worse than the spread indicates. I think you're going to see the Jacksonville lose this game to the 49ers like 28-10, 28-13. I just don't know where Jacksonville is going to find the points. And I think that Jimmy G is able to control the ball and not turn the ball over, which is going to likely turn into one of those talking points for us, Steven, where we're saying, wow, San Francisco had the ball for 40 minutes in this game. Well, with Kittle being back with IR, now this is going to be his third game, and this offense is way better. Liza Mitchell is now healthy. Offense is way better when they have a consistent running back in that backfield to play for, not the injury carousel that they seemingly have to deal with every year over the past three or four to five years. I don't know what I'm missing. We got to check the injury report or something. San Francisco by double digits. Out of all the double-digit spreads that we see, how is this not a double-digit? I'm sure the Sharps are all going for Jacksonville. I'm not going to buy it. There's really nothing to go into this game. Jacksonville's dog shit. George Kittle's going to have a monster game. Their defense, San Francisco's, can continue this because Jacksonville is very prone to turning the ball over. They love it, actually. There must be something in their contract where if you turn the ball over X amount each game, you get paid more. That's the only reasonable explanation of why they're turning the ball over this much. San Francisco minus six and a half. I'm not spending too much time on this game. Cincinnati, a one-point road favorite headed into your Vegas Raiders stadium. The over is at a flat 50. And I like your Vegas Raiders at plus one. I would not be surprised and will not be surprised when this just moves to a pick both these teams are losers of a couple consecutive games. But Vegas is home. They get their home crowd again. They're looking to stop the bleeding of what they think is going to happen yet again of the midseason skid. And Derek Hart and the boys get back, back on track. Deshaun Jackson, he had to shake some rust off. That deep threat's going to be looking good against a Bengals defense that is prone to giving up points. But don't be fooled. Joe Burrow and that offense will know how to keep them into the game. Let's see if your Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, Ngakwe, the duo with the most pressures in the NFL, can get to Joe Burrow, get a couple turnovers, and change this game. I think they can. Raiders plus one in money line. This is a game that is a character-building game for both teams. Both of these teams are in a little bit of a slide. Both of these teams... Two weeks ago, even three weeks ago, had people being like, hey, were we wrong? Are they a Super Bowl team? Now both of the teams lose a couple games they shouldn't have lost, or at least not in the way they should have lost. And what's the narrative around these teams changed to? Are they doing it again? 
and that applies to both teams. It's going to prove true, at least for one of them on Sunday, falling three straight, going all the way back to five and five. Unfortunately for me, I think it's the Raiders. I don't think that they're going to be able to get it done until they can kind of prove it to me. They can do it this stage of the year. I'm not going to buy in, and I do think that even though Cincinnati, you've heard me say that I believe they got here a year early, I think that Joe Burrow is going to be able to dice up this secondary a little bit. I was amazed when I was looking up the stats. The Raiders are like fifth or sixth in pass defense, but when you watch what KC did this last week, being able to utilize the tight end is crucial against the Raiders. I think CJ Uzama has a pretty big game for the Bengals, and they're going to get it done. And unfortunately, I... It's going to be a, a game that ends up being like 34-27 and look close-ish, but I don't think that there's ever a point when you watch this game on Sunday that you feel comfortable saying that the Raiders are going to win. Our next game, the team that just beat the Raiders, the Kansas City Chiefs, two and a half point favorites against Dallas Cowboys at home. thing that stuck out to me first about this one, Stephen, is that Vegas is evidently saying Dallas is half a point better than Kansas City at this stage of the season. Everybody knows the three-point swing, home versus home, whatever. Kansas City, I think I said it a little earlier in our recap of last week's show. I'm going to need to see them do this one more time before I think they're fixed. I think the Raiders were a large reason why you saw the success that they had. And Dallas, outside of that game last, or not last week, but two weeks ago, has been clicking on all cylinders all season long, even in the opener against Tampa Bay. So I'm going with Dallas, plus two and a half in the money line. This is kind of my throwing a net out into the sea and seeing if we're going to continue to catch the same KC team. If they do win and cover this game, maybe it's time for me to walk it back and say Kansas City might have figured it out. This is the game that will decide that, ultimately. So everyone's, oh, well, Kansas City's back. Their defense is starting to play really, really well. Okay, awesome. Let's go. Let's go through some of their uh, last few weeks of their games. Oh, they give up thirty-eight points to the Bills in that loss. Okay, cool. They they beat Washington. Good job. That defense stopped Taylor Heineke. Well, that defense just embarrassed Tampa Bay. Awesome. You were down what thirteen to three going into halftime. You need to beat Washington. Twenty-seven got hung up on you by the Tennessee Titans. You let seventeen go against the New York Giants, and the only one by three points. Oh, the, the Chiefs are back. Well, they only let Green Bay score seven points. Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing that game. Yes, you embarrassed the Raiders. Good job. You've been doing it since Pat Mahomes has been your quarterback. I got somebody here that can, that can attest to that as well. The Cowboys, I don't know what I'm missing. I think they are going to blow out the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they'll hang up 40-plus on them in this game, and they'll need it. To win. Because the Chiefs, yes, they can be explosive. That Cowboys secondary, yes, they can turn the ball over led by Diggs. But they're also prone to giving up big plays and a lot of yards as well. Ben, don't break. Classic Mike McCarthy as a head coach, that being your defense. Dallas plus two and a half. Spoiler, it's an absolute lock. This over 56 and a half, I think that as well is an absolute lock. And a lot of my real money is going on in this game. What I think is going to be the most entertaining game of the NFL Sunday outside of my cheese heads going up against the Vikings. The Arizona Cardinals are two and a half point favorites headed up to the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. Over under is set at 48. I don't trust Seattle. Don't trust this defense. 
Don't know if Russ is really that healthy. Yes, they can keep competitive. They need this win more than anything, but they just need a win overall, that being Seattle. Kyler Murray and the boys expected to be back in the lineup, the boys being DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe Arizona will be a little bit rusty because they've been stagnant, undecisive on who's playing, not having consistent starters in the lineup these past two to three weeks. Maybe they'll be slow, or maybe they'll do exactly what we think, which what I think is they're going to cover the two and a half, and I'm taking their money line in here. Seattle's dead in the water. This is just going to be Arizona blowing it out. Another notch on Russ Wilson's belt of why he wants to leave and getting another divisional L. But not getting shut out. I'll give him that. Big of you to give Seattle points. That's really nice of you. But no, I agree with you. The Arizona Cardinals are going to win this game and they're going to win it by more than two and a half. Therefore, I have them and I have the money line. I think that assuming that Kyler Murray and everything's back to normal, DeAndre Hopkins back to normal, this is a team that honestly might have used that little bit of a bye week. I know they lost because it's a game they had to play, but it feels like a bye week because they had no expectations to win last week. Because of that, you get these guys a little bit extra break. And so the weird thing about COVID is that assuming that you're asymptomatic, we're talking about what is kind of turning into bye weeks for some of these guys. And that is something we'd never have seen before. Just basically a healthy week off. I'm interested to see how that is going to look for the Cardinals. I think it's going to do them wonders. And that's why I think they're going to win this game. And it's a trend here now. A few times in a row here I've been picking this way. But I think they win. I think they win comfortably. I think this is like a two-touchdown game. But it all is going to come down to how Kyler Murray and that Arizona offense plays. Speaking of offenses, though, and how they're going to perform being the indicator on how the game's going to go, no easier way than talking about that than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're traveling to L.A. to face the Chargers, minus five and a half. And this is always one of my favorite games that rarely happens. It's like once every three or four years, I feel like you see the Steelers travel to L.A. or San Diego then and just overtake a town for a game. You will see so many terrible towels in that new stadium out there in L.A. It's going to make this a tough place to play, ironically, for the home L.A. Chargers. I think Pittsburgh is going to cover this game, but I think they're going to lose a nail-biter. I do think the Chargers finally are able to get back to their winning ways, putting together a full game. If you don't turn the ball over against this team, you're going to be in a position to win. And I think that's what they do. I think they make it a point to say, hey, Herbert, we need you to just basically, if it's not there, throw it away. That's the kind of game we're talking about here with the Steelers. Steelers, unbelievable defense. We've been talking about it forever. But even with Big Ben coming back, I don't think this offense is going to be able to put up enough points to win this game against a very talented Chargers team. Well, we're still seeing the Pittsburgh Steelers are preparing as Mason Rudolph would be the starter this week with the pending news that hopefully Big Ben will be back. But I like Pittsburgh plus five and a half here. Changed it. You talked me into it. But I like the Chargers money line. Steelers are going cross country for essentially a home game, like you said, I'm not going to get too much into that. Joey Bosa, Jerry Tillery, both on the COVID reserve list, questionable to be able to play in this game. That's going to be a huge part of that defense if those two are not able to play, especially Bosa, being able to take advantage of that Pittsburgh offensive line. Najee Harris game, baby. This is the game that he gets to exploit that Chargers rush defense and how horrible it is. We've been talking about it. Seems like every single week here, why would you not want to bet against that? 
Not my prop this week, but sprinkle some Najee Harris rushing total. He should be getting fed. Mason Rudolph, if he's in there, should not be passing it 50 times. Neither should ben, Big Ben Roethlisberger if he ends up making the trip. I like Pittsburgh plus 5.5, the money line going to the Chargers. The next and final game that we have here on our Sunday slate, the New York Giants at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Where Tampa Bay is 11-point favorites, 49.5 is set at the over-under. And I like the Giants at plus 11. Taking Tampa Bay's money line, though, we all remember this was a close game here last year. Even Danny Dimes might be able to do something against this defense. Taylor Heineke can line him up. Why can't Danny Dimes? Saquon's expected to be back. And if not, Devontae Booker has been playing very nicely in place of him throughout his injuries this year. I like the New York Giants plus 11. Their defense is playing a little bit better than what we thought that they weren't going to be able to get to earlier in the season. Here they are. I like them to keep them competitive. But ultimately, Tom Brady's not going to let three losses in a row. Trevor Simeon, Taylor Heineke, then Danny Dimes happen. But I do like the Giants at plus 11, Walter. We have the exact same two picks here. I also have the Giants plus 11 in Tampa Bay money line. Much of the same reasons you talked about. But another thing, another element that I want to touch on is that we talk about how this is a bored Tampa Bay team. You don't just wake up out of one of those funks you're in. Even if a couple losses kind of has them shaking and say, hey, let's really focus up and get a win here, I think that you're still going to see some of the bad habits and some of the unfortunate things that have been happening at Tampa Bay to keep this close. They're still going to win. I don't think that you ever wonder about who's going to win this game, but I definitely can see this being a one-possession game. For whatever reason, the Giants have been able to give them fits, even beyond Tom Brady. So I think that this is going to be a close game, but ultimately, the Bucs do get right here, get the 7-3, and three, and win this game. And with all of our games out of the way, you know what that means. It is time to get into prop lock and drop it. Where we pick one prop for you guys to pick each week. We give you a lock for you each week. And we give you a drop. A game that we would recommend staying away from. Even if we already have put our own money on it. We'll start with Steve this week. He always throws it to me. So I get a little bit of revenge getting to throw it to him first this time. Let's hear your prop lock and drop it. As you guys know, last week, legend of victory on the prop side, Dalvin Cook over 85 rushing yards. He ended up having 94 on those, what, 22 carries, 24 carries, something like that. My prop this week, I have Dallas versus Kansas City. Any team to score 40-plus points, that being yes, odds at plus 225. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised if this was if it wasn't one of those high-scoring games like that Rams-Chiefs Monday night game here a couple years back. I can see that being one of these games. Very entertaining one at this, obviously. My law keeping it in that game, and I've already alluded to it, the Dallas Cowboys at plus two and a half point underdogs at the visiting Arrowhead Stadium of the Kansas City Chiefs. I like the Cowboys getting it done in their money line overall. I know I misled you with the, the Detroit Lions money line as being the lock. Wasn't that far off. That close. 42 yards shank away from being right. What are you going to do with my drop it for the week? The Philadelphia Eagles and the New Orleans Saints game, and that spread is only one and a half. I want to stay away and watch it for entertainment purposes, and that's only it's only entertaining if every other game was a blowout like it was this past week at the 1 o'clock slate. That's my prop lock and drop it for the week. Wally, what is your prop lock and drop, bud? 
We both got a little crazy with our props this week. I love yours. That plus 225 value seems really good for that. So we'll definitely have to see if that hits. But I'm going to say with mine, I'm going with an anytime touchdown scorer of the New England defense and special teams. It pays at plus 410 on FanDuel right now. And I just think that going into this game, with New England going in against a Falcons team without Cordero Patterson potentially, I think you're going to see Matt Ryan try to force the ball in this game. And the way the Patriots play, they tend to get in leads early and try to kind of sit on it and play that game manager style role. That puts a team on the other sideline in a desperate position when they fall behind. And I think you're going to see Matt Ryan either throw a bad ball on the outside, maybe picked off on like a five-yard out, something like that, at a critical point. It doesn't even have to be critical, but I do think New England is going to manage to get a defensive score in this game. And if it hits and you put a unit on it, you're looking at 4.1 units back to you. The lock for me, I know what you were thinking. You already have your sheet in your hand. You're getting ready to say, you know what? I'm not going to touch that Philadelphia-New Orleans game because Steven told me not to. Wally says, on the other hand, I'm telling you Philadelphia wins this game. They're covering the two and a half. I think they do it easily. I think they're going to run the ball well in this game, even against a good little bit of a defense there in the Saints. Miles Sanders coming back. That's a big Philly win right there. And then my drop... I'm going to go, God, you had so many choices in this week. There was like four or five games I was a little hesitant on. But I'm going to go with the Cincinnati-Vegas game because we have two teams that have willingly tried to lose, it feel like, in the past in situations like this. Bengals got here a little early. Raiders, maybe they're just not that good, especially now without that vertical that Henry Ruggs. So I'm going to avoid it altogether. And that way, I get the root for it and not even worry that I picked the Bengals. Steven, how about you wrap us up? Wholesome content that I think everyone can agree on here. And some fun, uh, just some fun stats. So, last three weeks. Derrick Henry's last three weeks. Broken foot in the first quarter. He finished the game, and he's been out for the past two. His current NFL rankings. Still number one in rushing yards. Still number one in carries. Number two in rushing touchdowns. And number two in first downs. That's ridiculous. Is that good? I don't know. Is it? I, I'm not sure. I, I can Google real quick. Yeah, it's good. Holy fuck. That, it's, it's impressive. You got to give the kudos to King Henry. All hail King Henry. Hope for a speedy recovery. We need that man back. And I hope this is not an injury that changes this dude's career. Because the trajectory that he was on and watching him play and his style of play and just how large of a human he is and what he's able to do. I want to be able to see him back on the football field as fast as possible. So I know he's out there listening. Derrick Henry, please get healthy quick. And the reason he's listening is because he was able to go of all of our social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, at Loss of Down. He also likes to check out Wally's Twitter, Down underscore Loss, to keep up on all the Loss of Down information, graphics, when we're being dropped. I left you with a nice fun little tidbit. Wally, do you have anything for a nice listeners to send them off. I mean, how was I supposed to one-up that Derrick Henry stat? Nothing quite like that. Now, honestly, outside of that for me, my only final thought would just be, this is the best sports month of the year. You have everything going on right now. I'm living for it. It's awesome. Just bleeding sports right now. And this Saturday and Sunday, got a big couple ones. Buckeye fans, 
Michigan State, that's a huge game. And then Raiders fans, that's a huge game. So I cannot be any more excited for Saturday and Sunday than I could be right now, Stephen. He is Wally Lukashensky. I'm Stephen Weed. Until next time, this is Loss of Down. R.I.P. to Young Dolph. I don't know what that is. It's a uh, it's a cryptocurrency. Rip, big rips. <laughs> <laughs>